You're listening to The Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hey guys, this is Rick Hadrava with another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. So glad that you're joining us today again. And, you know, I love living in Oklahoma. I love being in this country, getting to meet new people all the time. And today's guest is no exception, but just like many of the connections I've made over the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years, it's funny how so many times I find that we actually play in the same circles or have in our past. And today's guest, again, is no exception. Uh, Our guest today is Stan Chase, and Stan has been involved in technology for the past 30 years. He's co-founded three different technology companies the Rock Island Group, which he sold in 2000, Perimeter Technology Center, which he sold in 2012, and I want to get this right, NIA is his current company that he leads. It's NIA Technology, and he started that company in 2016. In addition to this, in his past, Stan graduated from the Leadership Oklahoma City uh, organization, Leadership Oklahoma, where he received the coveted Golden Bull Award as the distinguished graduate of that class of 22. Stan is a retired lieutenant colonel from the United States military, where he served as an intelligence analyst for the U.S. Air Force, artillery officer, and assistant CIO for the Oklahoma Army National Guard. Stan received his bachelor and master's degree in business management from Southern Nazarene University. His interests include traveling, skiing, reading, and one of my favorites, grilling in the backyard. Stan and his wife, Pam, have been married for over 38 years. They reside in Edmond, Oklahoma, and their son is named Sam. Welcome to the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast, my new friend, Stan Chase. Stan, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, Rick, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So my first question is, did I get the name of your new technology company correct? And where did you come up with that name? Okay, well, you're pretty close. Uh, as, as I tell everybody, I don't care what you call me, just call me. Um, but it's Naya, and it is a Native American word. Um, my first company, as you mentioned, was a company called the Rock Island Group. Um, and it was a network management company. It was started in 1995. So there were not a lot of networks. Um, small businesses didn't have the ability to connect remote offices, those sorts of things. So when we started that company, we started going down that path of uh, putting remote offices together and helping companies navigate the technology world, which is this is pre-cell phones, pre-email, um, barely had commercial internet, those sorts of things. So we started a company out of the old Rock Island train station on 7th and Hudson. And we were geniuses. Um, we had three small companies. We put them all together. That's where the Rock Island group came from. And I tell you that story because when we started this company in 2016, my business partner and I, who have been business partners through all three of these deals, uh, wanted to do, wanted to go back to our roots, wanted to go back to our genesis of what we have a passion for and love, which is helping small businesses with technology and navigating through all of that. And we're Oklahoma-based, so we wanted to do something that related to our past, uh, 
um, and also where we're from. Um, so Naya, N-V-Y-A, is a Native American word, and it stands for rock. And it goes back to the Rock Island group, just to take us back to our genesis of where we started so we could have a story to tell uh, as we went out into the market because 95 to 2016, a lot of people forget who you are. So you've got to have <laughs> a little story to tell. So um, that's, where the, that's where the name came. Um, okay. And it, it also helped that the URL Naya Tech was available. So we used that as well. So. Well, I think that's I think that's great, and I love the story. And we've just learned something new today. I think for those of us that didn't know the origin of that name, but take us back. Let's go back to two thousand five. Okay, you you've got your time in the military, and uh, I want to say first and foremost, thank you for your service. It means a lot uh, to me, and and I know many people listening. But when when did when you left the military? Did you go right into the Rock Island Group in 2005? How did you transition onto your entrepreneurial journey? Well, I had, it's it's a much longer story, so I'll try not to take too much time and try to abbreviate as much as I can. Um, I was in college. I was at Oklahoma State University playing rugby, having a great time. Uh, I was a junior in college and uh, looked up one day and decided I have no idea what to do with a business degree. So I'm gonna go do what I know. My father was retired military. My older brother's retired military. And I thought, you know what, I'm gonna do what they did because I don't know what to do with a business degree. Everybody else was going into accounting and legal and and pre-med and all these sorts of things. And I'm just sitting there playing rugby, drinking beer and having a good time and decided I needed to learn how to do something. So I joined the military, went in, to the Air Force, spent four years active duty, and then got out, and then went, came back home and went to night school at Southern Nazarene forever uh, to get my bachelor's <laughs> degree. During that time, when I got out of the military, uh, I had the opportunity to join AT&T full-time and, and to do sales of data circuits and uh, other AT&T technologies. So that was my, my foray into technology, if you will. That was phone systems mostly and data circuits uh, for large companies, but it, it gave me that kind of that inkling into technology and, and what this is all about. Uh, I did that for about seven years, went to work for the Hertz Corporation. Well, during that time, um, I had finished my degree, so I'd always wanted to be an officer in the military, uh, went back and joined the Army National Guard. Didn't know the first thing about the Army, didn't know, and, and you mentioned I'm an artillery officer, I didn't know the front end from the back end of a cannon either. So uh, went through that, went to uh, active duty training uh, down at Fort Sill for a year, learned how to shoot a cannon, learned how to uh, manage cannoneers, if you will. Uh, And then uh, when I got back uh, after my leave of absence, I went to work for the Hertz Corporation. They were spinning up a new division within the Hertz Corporation called Hertz Technologies. And they were looking for someone that had some experience with technology, sales and marketing, all those sorts of things. So they called me and asked me to come over. Uh, I did that, did that for three years. And, but while I was doing it, I learned a very critical thing. If you don't have equity, (laughs) you're not building value. You're not building worth, okay, And, and wealth. So one of the things that I did, and I'd always had this inkling to start my own thing. I just didn't know what it was going to be. So it took me a while. So I went through those seven years of training. That's the way I look at it. Uh, in the meantime, I joined the Oklahoma Army National Guard, did all that sort of thing. 
and became a cannoneer and, and started working around the units in, in Oklahoma from a National Guard standpoint. I share that with you because that's critical in the long term of my career. But, but in those days, it was learning the disciplines that I could learn just about anything. Because if you've been around artillery, it's a lot of physics, a lot of meteorology. It's a lot of math. Um, and uh, I went down there thinking, let me take my golf clubs and, you know, I'll, 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 I'll breeze through artillery school. This has got to be simple. So go through that and uh, find out that if I can learn that type of information and, and understand and do those sorts of things, it just gave me more confidence. So uh, I went over to the Hertz Corporation, did that for three years. And during that time, I had a gentleman who was asking me to come out and co-found a company with him, the Rock Island Group, and start that. So that's how I got started down that path. And, and very candidly, we were going to be a technology company, which we didn't even know what that meant in those days. So uh, we went through that process and, and developed the Rock Island Group. So that's how I got started. Uh, I would love to say there was a huge strategic plan for what I was going to do, but quite candidly, it was just a matter of trial and error, trying things out, moving, uh, keeping my eyes open, um, being ready to take advantage of the opportunities when they arose. And, and uh, they, they happened to align for me very well. So, and I appreciate the background. So in 2000, you sold the Rock Island Group. What led to that decision? It sounds like you have partner, and so you had some other equity o- owners in the deal. Can you take us through that? Yeah, I certainly can. Um, right around 1999, and we're going way back in time now. We're, we're doing the time machine here. Uh, back in 99. There was a new technology out called webcasting, and it was brand new. Uh, we're using it right now. On this, on this platform, we're using webcasting. But in those days, there was no video. There was no audio. There were audio, but there was very few video podcasts and video webcasting and those sorts of things. So um, we had a company in Oklahoma called webcast.com. The CEO of that company was, was a gentleman named Scott Klazowski. Uh, You may or may not know him. Uh, He's an Oklahoma entrepreneur and also a national speaker, now international speaker. But he he had a company called webcast.com. My company, the Rock Island Group, was helping him build out his streaming media network. It was all network engineering, and that's what we did. Uh, We worked with multiple data centers across the country to get all of this stood up. And as we were going through that process, I looked down at my efficiency I always have a dashboard and I'm looking down at my efficiency and we're spending about 65% of our man hours working on his stuff, if you will. And it just made sense in those days, hey, one plus one could equal three or four. Let's put these things together. So we merged those two businesses together and we became, Rock Island became webcast.com. Six months later, we go out to raise capital because we want to do an IPO and, and want to really build out the company. While we're on the roadshow trying to raise money, we run into a company called iBeam Broadcasting. And I slowly say that because a lot of people thought it was IBM, but it was iBeam Broadcasting. And they were out of Silicon Valley and out of Sunnyvale, California, and they were looking to do acquisitions. So uh, in a matter of six months, Rock Island got then reacquired by iBeam Broadcasting with webcast.com, and we went through an IPO. And this is during the dot-com days. So it was, it was a rocket ship ascent, and we took off. And we had very large companies, Whistlemeyer Squibb, the McDonald's Corporation, everything using PGA of America 
using all of our webcasting tools that we were creating, it was one of the best rides I've ever been on. Now, what goes up real fast can come down real fast as well. So uh, two years later, we went through the dot-com implosion, all started looking for a job in 2002. So it didn't take very long to, to see the descent of our ascent. So, uh, But boy, I got to think, what an education. Best one I've ever process. had. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't learn half the stuff that I learned there in grad school. I, I can promise you that. Um, it was, you learn so many things of what not to do. And, and quite candidly, Rick, those, those are valuable. You know, people say, well, that was a failure. Uh, failure is not part of my vocabulary. Um, I think it's, it's a great experience. Uh, it, it teaches you so many things of what not to do. It also shows you things that worked. And what you do is you try to compartmentalize those and categorize those of what you don't want to do when you start your next business and what you do want to do. So you just take those nuggets and, and those skin knees and you learn uh, of, of how to do it better the next time. Very candidly. Absolutely. And I think anybody that's um, run a business, grown a business for any length of time would admit that that's how the normal pattern of things goes. So. You've been through actually not one sell or acquisition, but you've been through two, and and now you've got the new company. I, I'm curious, you know, as you as you look back on those transitions in your life, um, what do you carry forward with you the most as you lead the way with your new company? The thing that I focus on the most is the customer. Number one, I I, I have this firm belief that your customers. Um, can be your greatest allies. And, and what I mean by that, um, every company that I've started, I didn't come from a family of wealth. I came from a military background. We were middle class, probably maybe lower, lower class. I don't even know what class we were. Uh, we were a military family. We moved a lot. And uh, one of the things that I've just always believed is that you make your friends, okay? You make your customers your friends. And what I mean by that is you're upfront and honest with them at all times. So if you truly mean that and you're sincere in what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish, your customers can be your greatest allies. So we never had any money when we, we were always undercapitalized when we started these businesses, but we just went to our customer base and said, hey, here's what we're trying to do. We'd like you to help grow our business and, and refer us clients and those sorts of things. And, and it's unbelievable that after almost 30 years in this market, I'm still doing business with companies that I did back in 90s. Um, and the reason for that is I believe we do right and we fear not. I also have another mantra. I'm a, I'm a man of cliches, let me put it that way. But I have another mantra that you do what you say you're going to do every time, no exception. And, and if you do that, people think you're just the greatest thing since sliced bread. And in a service-based industry such as mine now, that's all we have. That's our integrity. That's our credibility. And we have to be accountable to that. And if you think about it, and, and I, I, I always say this, business is two things. It's expectations and it's communication. That's all it really is. Because no one sets the expectations for the customer except us. All right? So if we set that expectation, we should set that knowing that we have to meet that expectation. And we need to communicate the progress that we're making as we're working on that and reset expectations if they need to be reset. So I make that very simple. It's very difficult. It's probably one of the hardest things in the world to do because you can't control anything. You can't control everything. And 
we have to understand that. But as we go through that, if I give you my word, that's my word. And that's how I built these businesses that we just do what we say we're going to do every time, no exception, because excuses are a dime a dozen. They're all over the place. And and uh, we hear it now. Uh, if you order something, uh, it's going to take longer because of COVID. Okay. Well, I, I think a lot of people are using that as an excuse just to take longer to get things to you, those sorts of things. So um, we just try to practice, you know, what we preach and we, uh, we have been very successful, but I think the other key, key component to building a business, uh, a good business is the people you hire. And uh, we spend an inordinate amount of time looking for the right people uh, that fit into our culture, fit into our team uh, and have the same um, desire, if you will, to take care of the clients. And, and it's been, um, I, I've got a great team here. I'd, Thank God, because if they had to count on me, we'd be in trouble. So uh, it's just nice having a great team uh, that just, you know, carries you, if you will. Absolutely. And, you know, I was thinking about that very topic today because I think one of the things, the hardest thing that I've learned in my business and career and talking to other business owners is getting the team right is one of the biggest challenges. And it requires to really understand the roles and to hire slowly and let people go quickly when they're not the right fit when, when, when we realize that. But um, so I, so I applaud you in your business today, Stan, what's a typical client look like? That's such a, that's such a difficult question to answer. Um, I, a typical client is someone that values their IT uh, they, they, it's a critical part of their business. And uh, our customers range anywhere from five employees to 900 employees. Um, and, and the reason I say that is we can manage any size clients, if you will. Uh, again, I hate, to, I hate to make it so guttural because people think technology and all this sort of stuff. Um, really what we do for our clients is we are, we are their IT staff. We are their business partner. So uh, whether you're an 800 person company or a five person, 10 person company, you've got IT needs. And it depends on, uh, I, I always put it this way, we're a boutique IT shop. What we do is we work with our clients to help them meet their needs so they can use technology and focus on their core competency instead of worrying about technology. So a typical client for us is someone that may or may not have someone in charge of IT, but they really don't have the hands and feet to do the day-to-day -day tasks. Or also, they're looking for someone to help them navigate through moving to the cloud. People make that sound so simple, and it is not that easy to do. Um, there's a lot of different things that have to take place and steps that have to take place. So uh, we've got the experience to do that. We have built data centers in, in our past. Uh, we're very familiar with the cloud environment, how it works, uh, that whole virtual server, virtual email, virtual everything. It's it is virtual to the client, but it's not virtual in reality. Uh, it resides on servers somewhere. It has, you know, VPN set up. It has IP uh, schemes and configuration set up, and all that stuff has to be navigated. So really what we do is we, we go into a client, um, and again, a typical client for us is probably around 50 to 100 employees. Again, I've got a wide range, uh, variation of uh, uh, types of clients, but usually in that set, and what they are is they're using technology to benefit them from a connectivity with their clients, uh, with their EMRs, with their um, 
you know, software platforms that they're using, accounting, whatever it may be. And a lot of this is moving to the cloud and navigating that to the cloud and how you use that because it is a different experience working in the cloud as it is having it on site on a server. So uh, we help customers transition that that digital migration, if you will, or digital transformation going from, from sitting in your office to now everybody's working from home. Um, let's all just VPN into the server in our office. Well, it doesn't work that way. Um, so we have to go in and we have to work with clients to help architect, implement, and then manage solutions for them regarding their IT needs. And, and we help them in really whatever capacity we can. Great, great. And it gets me thinking, Stan, and this kind of puts you on the hot seat a little bit, um, but if you sit back and you think about where everything's going to the web and, you know, or the cloud, excuse me, and where technology is today versus where it was 20 years ago. What I wonder from your perspective, what is it 10 years from now that leaders in their organization, when it comes to technology, aren't really thinking about that they maybe should be thinking about? Well, one of the things, one of the things that I try to challenge business owners with is what are you doing with your technology? Not just today, but what are you doing? And, and looking out 10 years, Rick, is very difficult to do because technology changes about six-month intervals. So, it, it, you know, what it's going to look like in 10 years, I'm, I'm not Nostradamus. I don't know. <laughs> but with that being said, everything's moving to the cloud. Uh, you know, with my own company, we use voice over IP on the phones. Uh, we, we don't have any servers in-house. Everything's in the cloud. Um, we manage a firewall for my business, and that's that's about it. With that being said, technology, one thing we do know, technology is going to continue to change. And this is where I challenge business owners. A lot of people have always wanted to hire IT people, okay, and bring them in-house and, because then they can control them or they, they understand what they're doing and they can hire or fire them and, and that sort of thing. I think that model's going to change, and I think it's quite broken, if you want my opinion on that, because I'm a CEO of a car dealership, and I'm going to bring in a IT director. Who is going to vet that person? Who within the organization is going to run down their resume and dive in deep as to what they can do for the organization, and how are they going to add value? You see where I'm going with that? Uh, you're in the automotive business, and now you're trying to vet an IT professional. How do you do that? And, and where I challenge companies, and this is why we've been so successful, instead of hiring an individual, why don't you hire a team with all the different disciplines and, and experience uh, that have been around for 30 years and have navigated these, these courses a number of times um, and let us help you design, implement, and manage your IT strategy. You still control the strategy. We are just the the hands and feet and the implementation piece to that. So I always I always look at business owners. None of us can tell you what technology is going to look like in 10 years. Yes, there's some things going on. I can give you all my theories and things like that. But in reality, um, you know, Microsoft probably has a, what, two, three-year window of things they're working on. Uh, Amazon, the same thing. Um, technology changes so quickly that there's it's hard to have a, a long-term roadmap. So the thing I challenge companies to do is hire hire a company that can come in and help you navigate those waters and give you the best advice and go do the research uh, knowing of what your goals are. And, and that's how we've been engaging with our clients and helping them 
with their technology strategy and their future. Love it. And and it's an outsource. Basically, we're in a we're in a period of time where things are getting scaled down um, and and more people are, are outsourcing so many things from HR to payroll to, you know, technology. But we all know as business owners, we need it. We need the leverage. Uh, I sometimes think we don't know what to do with it, right? Once we have it, but uh, that's where somebody like you comes in. Here's the thing. Let, let's shift a little bit the conversation. As an entrepreneur, if you were tomorrow, if, if your business went out of business tomorrow and you had advice for yourself or for our audience on you know, how to get started, what would be the first thing that, that Stan would do to get his new business up and running? Because I don't think you'd go to work for somebody else after all these years is my guess. Well, you know, that's a very interesting question. Um, one of the things uh, that you, you addressed this earlier, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just caveat back to that just for a minute, if you, if you don't mind. You know, successful businesses. I don't know what successful business means. And, and what I mean by that is every time, what I've tried to do is I look at the market, I try to find what, where's the void in the market? How can I help customers and how can I add value to what they're trying to do? So, for instance, if, if Naya goes out of business tomorrow, first thing I'm going to do, again, I'm, I, I said this earlier, I'm going to go back to my customer set and I'm going to say, hey, what are things that keep you up at night? What are things that, that you're, you don't know how to focus on? You don't even know what it is, okay? But it keeps you up at night. It's, it's a thing that you can't see coming, but you worry about it, okay? Is technology going to change? Are these things going to happen? So, I would look at it to find what the needs of the market are and, and okay, relevant to what I do. Okay. I'm not going to go try to be an accountant for someone. I don't have a background in accounting, so that's not going to work. So what I try to do is I look at where is the niche that, that I need to, or niche, however you say that the right way, but what are they trying to do? What are, what are their, what are their holes and how do I fill that hole and how do I help them? And, but it has to add value. I don't want to be transactional in nature. I want to be relationship in nature. And that's how I've, focused it. So um, one of the things that I've always tried to do every time I've started a company is I focus on the company, not on the exit. Okay. The exit's the last thing that happens. All right. So I focus on where I'm at today and what I'm doing today. So the reason I've had some success in business is I focus on building a company of value. And if you think about that statement, if you build something of value, somebody wants it. Okay, customers want it, uh, buyers want it, uh, the market wants it, all those sorts of things. So if you build something of value, then it, it makes the game easier, if you will. Now, what the, what the biggest hurdle is for most entrepreneurs is they have a great idea, but they don't know how to execute. Okay, they don't know how to get it from point A to point B. And honestly, they're trying to go from point A to point Z, but they don't know the steps in between to get to Z. All right. So one of the things I try to tell entrepreneurs, and, and I'm, I'm involved in a number, uh, the Oklahoma Entrepreneurial Mentor Program, and I, I try to coach on that, is, hey, stay focused. Stay focused on what your intent is. Stay focused on what you're trying to do. The shiny box syndrome is the biggest thing for entrepreneurs. Man, those rabbits come out of holes. They go chase them. They go, man, I got another great idea. I got another idea. Uh, my thing is stay focused on what you are. And Learn how to execute that vision. If you can figure that out, and again, understanding what your vision is, 
Uh, I want to build a company of value that services small businesses in Oklahoma City, for instance. What is that? I don't know yet. Let's go figure out what that value is and that value proposition is to a client. And then we can have some success if we stay focused and we build the team around it. But what I see from a lot of entrepreneurs, and I don't mean this in a bad way, I love entrepreneurs because they're just full of ideas, is staying focused and, and grinding. Um, I have a word that I made up and, and I don't even know where it came from, but most entrepreneurs don't have that stick to okay? They don't stick with it long enough. Um, we're all going to have trials and tribulations. There's going to be ups and downs and every other thing that can happen. Uh, what you've got to do is say, no, I believe in what I'm doing. Uh, customers believe in me, and I'm going to stay focused on this through thick and thin. Now, there comes a time where that train's going off the cliff. You better jump. I get it. But in most parts, if you if you plan this out, that track doesn't lead you to a cliff. Okay, it leads you on a, on a great voyage. And and again, I, I one of the things I've learned from selling businesses is it's not the exit that's exciting. It's the journey to get there. It's the most exciting and challenging and frustrating and emotional part of it all to me. And to me, it's the greatest part of building a business, not selling it. Don't worry, I don't want to give the money back. But <laughs> selling it is really just, uh, it's kind of the ending, if you will. Well, Stan, I love to hear you put all that in your own words. It's something that we preach all the time. You know, when you can, the entrepreneurs are the problem solvers. I, I believe it. I've seen it, it. It's true. But sometimes it's hurting cats. And when we can get them, you know, I was just having a conversation this week with a business owner and she had just a list of products and services. And, and I said, you're, you're all over the place. What's the one or two that are most important to the people you're serving? You know, the, the biggest problem. Um, and, and when you can get them focused, that's where scale comes from. That's where client feedback is going to be the most impactful. And, and you can grow something that you run forever or like you have, uh, you decide to, to sell and, and to go do something else. Well, listen, we're, we're coming towards the end. Um, and I told you that one of the questions I like to ask, because I think um, it's almost like this stigma out there in some people's mind, you know, you have to be perfect as a business owner. You have to be perfect as an entrepreneur. I have yet to meet such a person. So I wanted to ask you, as you think back over your business career, um, is there a face plant moment? And I shared with you, you know, we, we, we kind of like to call it face plant because it's not the glorious Facebook moment that everybody pictures themselves looking all shiny and pretty, but that one where you went, you got up from the ashes of whatever you failed at in the moment or whatever. And you said, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Did you, have you had one of those moments? And if you had a, are you willing to share and B what was the biggest takeaway from that moment? Rick, great question. Um, I don't think we have enough time for all the number of face plants that I've been through. Uh, if you're going to show the video of this podcast, people will understand because this mug's been through, been beaten to death a number of times. <laughs> um, the biggest face plant uh, in my career, uh, very candidly, I, I shared a little bit of it, but it, it, a little bit of a long story, but I'll keep it as short as possible. We were running and gunning with the webcast.com. Uh, went into iBeam Broadcasting. It was flying, going like crazy. We raised $190 million on the IPO. We were bankrupt in two years, and next thing I knew, I was out of a job. And uh, that wasn't the face plan, but um, during that time, and this is the dot-com 
implosion and the telco bust all at the same time, 2002. Uh, I'm looking up going, you know what we need to do? We need to build a data center in Oklahoma City, a commercial data center. And people looked at us like we were from Mars and we probably were the most out of our mind people in those days, but but we were looking for an opportunity. So we got the opportunity and we, we finagled a way to, to, to get the capital that we needed, all these sorts of things. So we're running and gunning. Now we're building Perimeter Technology Center and it became Oklahoma's largest commercial data center before we sold it to Tierpoint. Reason I bring that up is we're running and gunning. It's Labor Day in 2000, I'm gonna lie to you, but I think it was 2008, okay? Okay, 7 by 24, 365 data center. It's storm proof. It's all these sorts of things. And I get a call on Labor Day. I'm out in the backyard having a beer and uh, family over. And it's one of my partners going, Stan, uh, we have an issue. I said, what's that? And they said, we've lost total power to the data center. I said, well, the generator's going to take that. And then it's not. No, Stan, we've lost total power to the data center. I said, Okay, I'm on my way. So I hang up the phone, go drive into the to the data center, and I walk into this thing. And it, it's one of the most curious things I've ever seen. If you walk into a fully functional data center, and it's pitch black. Okay, there's no servers on. There's nothing happening. I mean, this thing is dead. And what had happened is lightning. Again, we control nothing. If you think about it, lightning hits sure. the transfer station. Okay, and when our generator kicked on, we had just gone through maintenance on the generator. The generator kicks on. Well, the, in the maintenance, they didn't check the thermostat on the generator. So it overheated. It died. Okay. And these are the early days. And it died. And I'm standing there looking at this. And I'm looking at my team going, what are we going to do? And they're like, we don't know. We're going to figure it out. But we don't know. Now, think about this. Our customers have been clients of ours for five years. And we've been up and running for five years. They don't care. They didn't care at all. They're screaming, hollering, blowing up my phone. <laughs> my stuff's down, blah, blah, blah. Now, thank God it was a holiday, so it wasn't as bad. It took us eight hours to get power back to the data center. Think about that from a data center perspective. Eight hours. That's a here's, lifetime. Here's the killer, though. That's the face plant, but here's the killer to me. How many customers did we lose? Zero. And the reason is we communicated with them. We told them what was going on. We were honest and upfront, and we had relationships built with those people, and they stood with us. That's why I say customers can be your greatest ally because during a face plant, you need friends. <laughs> you need a yes. lot of friends. Uh, <clears throat> hell, your enemies can be your friends. You don't care during that time. So that was probably the biggest face plant um, that we faced in, in, the, in the 30 years, and it was it was pretty difficult. And uh, but you, to me, you stay true to who you are. You stay true to what you're doing for your clients, and they value that. Um, and, and it worked out well. And I, I tell that story because that could have killed us. I mean, it, I always say this another cliche, but it's not the adversity. It's how you react to it and what you do with it. And that's what customers are looking for. They're just looking for somebody that's in the fight with them. And, and they're looking to you're looking out for their well-being. And when they when they trust that, and, and Rick, I, I, I've always had this philosophy, I'm working to build a customer's trust. And that takes a long period of time. People don't just trust people because they're good guys, okay, or good gals. They they want to earn, they, they want you to earn their trust. But once you get it, if you if you stay true to who you are and don't break that trust circle, 
they're going to be friends for life. And that's why I go back again. I've had customers for 30 years, different iterations of companies, but the same, not all the same customers, but the same customers because they trust us. They trust that we are going to be honest and truthful and, and do what we say we're going to do. And it's, it's really that simple to me. Great story. And I couldn't think of a better one to, to end the show on today. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. And, and thank you for joining us today. Stan, if somebody's listening to the show, we always, we always like to wrap with ways that people can learn more about you, your company, maybe connect to you for business purposes or questions. How, how does somebody do that that's listening to our show today? Well, the first thing you'll realize on this podcast is I like to talk. So I'll talk to anybody about anything, especially entrepreneurs. I really value them. I, I, I think it's very fun for me. It, it's kind of, I, I think it's really what I'm designed to do is, is to help coach and, and to share stories and, and experiences. So the best way to get a hold of me is to email me and it's Stan, S-T-A-N, at Naya Tech, N-V. Y-A-T-E-C-H dot com. You can also visit our website. It's, there's nothing sexy about our website, so I'm just going to tell you right now. Um, but that is uh, NiaTech.com. So, uh, but emailing me is the best way. Uh, I respond. I try to return um, any type of correspondence within, you know, eight hours if I can. So, uh, especially with entrepreneurs, if they've got questions, please feel free to contact me. Uh, I may not have the answer, but usually two smart people can figure it out. So, um, you know, just talking through what they're trying to do, uh, gaining ideas of what they're trying to accomplish and trying to help navigate and coach them. That's, that's what I enjoy doing. I appreciate it. And, and you can tell that you're very passionate about what you do, both as a business owner and in the entrepreneurial community. So we appreciate that, Stan, and, and appreciate you being on the show. Guys, we really appreciate you listening today. You can find the show notes and this podcast, other resources at our website, uh, epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. And that's epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. Also, if you would like to be a part of our Freedom Series calls where we bring entrepreneurs like Stan and, and a bunch of other entrepreneurs to the community. We share stories, expertise, and connections. And I think Stan would agree that, you know, community of entrepreneurs is vital to your success. That's where your best ideas and collaborations can come from. We would love to have you join us. It's free. Just email me, rick at epicsbiz.com. And just let me know that you'd like to learn more about our Freedom Series calls. We appreciate you. And until next time, remember, we're only getting started. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com slash formula. And remember, we're only getting started.